The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome, everybody, and thank you so much. I just, uh, I always like to recognize the audience because without you, there would be, there would be no show. And I, I love the idea that each and every week we focus on being intentional and being an intentional person is, I, I believe it requires a greater depth within an individual more than goal setting or vision boards and all those things are important and significant. But the intentional person continues to move forward, even though they may not see what the future is on the other side of the mountain, even though they might be going through challenges or, you know, crisis at the time or something going on with their family. They continue to move forward with an idea in mind of how they're being guided. And that's what I really enjoyed reading about our guest today, Dr. Greg Hammer. He has so much of uh, credentialing in the medical field and offers hope and inspiration and with his new book, Gain Without Pain. So he uses the word gain and I I think he's just, well, I'm just really looking forward to (laughs) what that is and how we know we're going to be better because we spent time with him. Dr. Greg Hammer, thank you for being on our show today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure being with you. And um, you have such a, um, a a broad background, and I'd love you to take the opportunity, you know, to kind of take us way back because our show inspires a lot of individuals in high school and in the beginning of college, and they're thinking about, you know, what is it I want to be when I when I grow up or you know, or what do I want to be in this second chapter of my life? So take us way back. How did you get involved in this field in the first place? I was uh, always interested, uh, as of my teenage years at least, in how everything is sort of interrelated. I became very interested in astronomy 
Mm-hmm. I spent many hours on uh, the driveway of the home where I grew up outside of Chicago in the winter with below zero temperatures and my telescopes. Those were the nights that the sky was most clear. And I was extremely interested in how the planets related to each other, how the Earth related to the sun and the rest of the solar system and how our sun is part of a larger entity called the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is part of a large cluster of galaxies and so on and so on. In other words, we're the relatively small, and that's us, uh, planet Earth, relate to the relatively infinite, if that's not a a non sequitur. But um, I became interested in astronomy and then uh, I became interested in human biology for the same reason, uh, and that is that it's fascinating to me how the the small becomes the medium size and the large, and how the parts are all interrelated. And when I came to a fork in the road, as Yogi Berra might have said, I took it. I went in the direction of human biology and medicine rather than astronomy, just mainly for pragmatic purposes. Um, there's much more opportunity in, in the field of human biology and medicine. And uh, when I was in medical school, I found that I had an affinity for people who worked with children. I found that they tended not to take themselves too seriously. That was me as well. So I decided to do a residency in pediatrics. And while uh, I was a resident, I really loved working in the intensive care unit, just the pace the impact of decisions that are made there. And uh, at that time, uh, the combination of anesthesia and critical care in pediatrics was much more common than it is today. The training has become sort of forebodingly long. But I went into critical care medicine and did a residency in anesthesiology and then fellowships in pediatric intensive care and anesthesiology. And my whole interest in, in medicine and in fitness in general has really been related to my early interest in the interrelatedness of everything. And uh, in addition to that, I've always been very interested in fitness in the broad sense, physical fitness, spiritual fitness. And so while at Stanford, I became involved in a program called WellMD, which was convened related to the growing tide of burnout among healthcare professionals, physicians in particular, which has really become a crisis even before the pandemic. And uh, I started giving a talk on wellness here and there and and what we can do about burnout, and that kind of took a life of its own on. So normally when I'm invited to speak, it's about my research in pharmacology or my clinical practice of pediatric intensive care, cardiac anesthesia. But the wellness thing, I guess, uh, has struck a chord and... And as I said, that's, that's uh, kind of taken on a life of its own. I had some sabbatical time, uh, and because my talks on wellness were resonating, I thought, why not write a book? And so that's what I did. And uh, meanwhile, this whole process continues, and here we are together. Yeah, did you, did, was the idea of writing a book, was that like something that you had to really work at to grasp, or did it just seem like the next organic phase of the work you're doing to reach more people and to, to educate them and, you know, that kind of thing? 
Absolutely the latter. Yes, I think when I was talking with people, meeting with people, connecting with people uh, related to burnout and wellness, the message just seemed to resonate. The, the idea of gain sort of, you know, came together. And, uh, and then I had some sabbatical time, so it just seemed like a very natural progression to write a book about it. Well, I love I love the title uh, of the book. Uh, it really called me, and it is obviously called um, the producer that you know books the shows. Gain without pain: the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. And everyone that's tuning in, I'm talking to Dr. Greg Hammer, and you can go to his website, GregHammerMD.com. And I, I love that book. Um, a little side note about me uh, in my history of, of being a public person, a speaker, teacher, author, whatever I may think of myself. I was a trainer uh, for a number of years, and I would go into a lot of the medical facilities and uh, the long-term healthcare industries. And I was always so fascinated knowing that they had a lot of things they had to deal with. I mean, just being a caregiver or caretaker is by itself is a real calling. I get all that. But there was, I've, I found that some of the places just really lack joy. You know, they lack that, that happiness component that you're, that you're talking about. One of the places I went with uh, a friend of mine was MD Anderson and it just had an entirely different vibration, you know, to it, that it was a upbeat in the midst of the sorrow, the pain, the crisis, the, you know, whatever. So anyway, I'm just very, uh, I remember a couple of them I wrote down, please don't ever send me there. <laughs> you know, it was just didn't have the right kind of energy. So I'm sure that yours is much more intense with you as an educator, but when you say gain without pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals, um, what share with us, you know, what you can, of course, without giving away the whole book, what are some of the ideas that you're passionate about? Sure. Well, I I certainly don't mind giving away anything related to the book. Um, you know, I think that we, you talked about happiness and, and attitude being so important and uh, your experience at the medical center uh, being upbeat in the face of a lot of pain and suffering. And uh, I, I think that the pillars of emotional and spiritual well-being just kind of fell into place uh, to form the GAIN acronym. And gratitude mm-hmm. is essential acceptance Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to what you said about a cancer hospital actually having an upbeat and even joyous resonance. Acceptance of pain is essential. Intention uh, is another essential ingredient to happiness and and non-judgment as well. So we can talk about those individually and together. And I think that our basic innate persona really is happiness. Uh, Mm. And then that happiness gets apparently veiled by our experience. And, you know, we could talk forever about the developing human, both 
biologic and and emotional and spiritual point of view. But as we were born, I think we're in a state of relative bliss. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at a newborn, they just seem to be present and unaware of time and space. They don't really know the, uh, where the edge of their hand is and where their mother's breast begins, for example. I think they're just completely present. They're not concerned about being in the uterus uh, an hour ago or where they're going to be tomorrow. And I think that state is one of bliss, actually. And how do we get that back? You know, as we develop, we uh, acquire patterns of thought that are necessary in developing. We have to separate from our, our mother and father. We have to form our own identity. Uh, we have to learn what is mine and what is not mine. And in that process, we tend to define ourselves as a separate self. And I think therein, in general, lies the basis of our apparent unhappiness, that we see that we're separate. We become uh, imbued with a negativity bias. I think the two ways that our brains become wired through experience growing up that interfere with our happiness are, one, we have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative and forget about the positive experiences we have. And the second property that interferes with our happiness is that we are relatively fixated on the past and the present. And I would say that we can think of our thoughts of the past and uh, fixated on the past and the future, excuse me, We could sort of categorize those thoughts as adaptive versus maladaptive. So, for example, when we think about the past, it's adaptive to recognize mistakes that we've made so we don't continue to repeat them and we learn. It's also adaptive to reflect on wonderful, loving times we've had with family and friends. So those are good things to think about up to a point, of course, with regard to mistakes that we've made. But excessive thinking of the past tends to bring shame, uh, low self-esteem, negative self-judgment. Again, it's a combination of the negativity bias and a relative obsession with thoughts of the past in ways that are maladaptive. And I would say the same for the future. It's adaptive to plan to put bread on the table. It's adaptive to look forward to good times with loved ones. But beyond that, we tend to obsess on the future, and this brings fear and anxiety. So I think fear, anxiety, shame, uh, self-judgment, these are maladaptive thoughts that we tend to uh, adhere to. And the idea is with gain that if we recognize that, we can do something about it. Therein lies the intention. So, for example, John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of my heroes and probably the founder of mindfulness, uh, what we call mindfulness-based stress reduction mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. Oh, defined yeah. mindfulness as an awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And the on purpose means since we've acquired this negativity bias and this way of thinking obsessively about the past and the future, we need to be purposeful or intentional about changing the way we think and rewiring our brain. And the good news is that our brains have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity, 
And so if we are intentional, we can identify the maladaptive ways we tend to think and identify the ways we'd like to think to be more present and positive, we can do it through intention. And so uh, there's hope. It's so it's so powerful, and it, it's so wonderful to meet, um, you know, someone that's so integrated and so highly respected in your field that you are mentioning words like spirituality, like you know, happiness, like awareness, and you know, gratitude, and 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 things like that. And <clears throat> I know how you know people can take one sentence and totally misinterpret it and and I you know certainly wasn't referring to that when people walk into a hospital to see their dying mother that they anticipate disco music and people dancing you know or wow this is like Disney yet there's something about like you're saying like the stress often that caregivers are carrying you know, they can be short and cranky and, you know, and they have all this stuff coming at them. And I can't imagine I would not be cut out for that. But I, you know, I do multitask a lot as a spiritual leader and I have various things I'm, you know, balancing at any given moment. And I think the person in front of you, like you're saying, to get back to that childlike nature of regardless of what is to realize that right now to just put that aside and be present with the family or the people, you know, that really are seeking that energetic field of uh, hope or just calming or, you know, whatever that, that may be. I, I love what you're doing. You must find a tremendous joy from it. I do. And, and, you know, uh, Every morning, my practice is to uh, wake up, open the blinds, even though it's dark out these days when I get up, <laughs> and do my morning right. hygiene thing, and then sit and do uh, my gain meditation, which I do every morning. And that practice is basically just a matter of sitting in a comfortable place and getting in touch, noticing the breath, which I think is central to all forms of meditation, and noticing the air coming in through the nose and pausing and then letting the breath go without effort. So we do that a couple of times and then begin to contemplate our gratitude. And one thing that always comes to me during my gratitude contemplation is how privileged it is to be able to serve and help other people, just as you were saying. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful not only for the medical miracle or miracles in my own life, but also for what we can offer our children, patients, and their families, and, and what a wonderful thing it is to be able to do that. And, you know, a lot of my practice is taking care of children who have serious congenital issues, congenital cardiac disease, or other genetic disorders who one might think would have a rather bleak future. But on the other hand, um, you know, that's the A in gain is acceptance. And I think that feeling that you've got walking into MD Anderson has to do with acceptance because I think we need to recognize that there's joy and pain in life equally, perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but there doesn't have to be intense suffering. So there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. We love formulas in medicine. Say that's that again. Basic, Say uh, that again, Greg. 
suffering equal because that was powerful and i want to make sure that we have that recorded more than once suffering equal pain times resistance got it oh that's oh that's that's on Mm -hmm. you know it's a basic uh fluid dynamic principle that pressure equals flow times resistance so it's a modification of that whereby the pain is there the pain is an inevitable part of life. But when we resist it, and resistance takes many forms, we increase the suffering. So the A in gain is all about letting that resistance go. And that is called acceptance. It's sort of the opposite or converse of resistance. So there's the pain. And as the serenity prayer would remind us, there's pain that we can't do anything about. We can't prevent it. We can't necessarily treat it to to its full extent. And I think when you walk into a cancer hospital, excuse me, and you see so many people who are afflicted with terminal illness, that represents a pain that we can't uh, we can't cure in many cases. So the pain is there. How do we deal with it? If we resist it, if we pretend it's not there, if we try not to think about it or talk about it. Um, if we pretend that it's something that it isn't, these are all manifestations of resistance. So in the game meditation, after we contemplate our gratitude, we transition to acceptance, we understand the pain, we can contemplate a particular event. I lost my 29-year-old boy four years ago. So that comes to me first in acceptance. And there's nothing I could do about it. And I just have to accept it. And I just feel the pain coming closer and closer. I actually visualize my chest and my heart opening. And I absorb that pain into my heart until I'm fully merged with it, until there is no resistance. And again, suffering equals pain times resistance means that if we lower the resistance towards zero, the suffering is commensurately lowered towards zero. So the pain is there, and it's how we manage it that really is so important to our our emotional and spiritual well-being. Mm, that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's really that's really good. So when you're doing your meditation in the morning, how how long does it last, or is it even about time? Maybe it's not. The reason I ask is. Maybe at some point in the program, you'd like to lead us through something. So that's just a, a thought, sure. you know, that maybe after yes, well, break. I think, sure. Yeah, maybe after break. I think, I think that would be wonderful if you would be willing, you would be willing to, to, to do that. Um, how have you found, um, we have about four or five more minutes. How have you found, um, your book being received by the healthcare professionals, where is it being promoted and marketing and and marketed and, you know, how long has, have you been um, on the, on the circuit, as we say in the publicist book (laughs) business um, with your book? Well, the book was published uh, a little over a year ago and I think the reception has been, to my mind, surprisingly wonderful. I mean, I, I I wrote it just to get the message out there, and I 
think it's being incredibly well received by people in the healthcare profession and outside of the healthcare profession. The message is really applicable to all of us, but not limited to healthcare professionals. It's just that the stories in the book have to do with healthcare and medicine, uh, but I think anybody can relate to them. I've been really delighted at, at the reception and, and the opportunity to speak with people like you and your listeners, and uh, it's just been, uh, there's a bit of a crescendo involved. It seems to be getting more and more, uh, the message is more and more resonant, and I think reaching more people, which is really something that makes me very happy. I had a friend uh, that I don't know very well who asked if she could bring the book over to have me sign it for her brother. It turns out her brother lives in Texas, and his psychotherapist recommended that he read it. So that was a surprise to me that uh, the therapist in Texas read it and recommended it for her patient. So anyway, uh, it's a very humbling experience, but I'm, I'm very delighted at the way that uh, the book and, more importantly, the message is, has been received. It's just awesome, and so very little resistance. Then, I mean, that as they um, as they say, it's hard to teach a dog new tricks. I have one of those, um, and so um, the people, the individuals in the healthcare industry that have been doing it for years and years and years, are they resisting, or do they go, "This is just what I've been looking for"? Wow, this is going to change the way we're doing things now, or. What are you finding in that regard? I think it's important in the context of healthcare to consider what are the elements that drive burnout and therefore what are the paths to solution. And mm-hmm. uh, at the Well and Be program, there's a beautiful icon, if you will. It's a rubric of how we at the Well and Be Center see the the issues related to professional fulfillment. So if you can imagine a pie cut in thirds, the drivers of burnout and the potential uh, cures to burnout involve first in in the one one third of the pie is really the culture of medicine. So I think for until recently, the culture has not been that healthy. Um, It's changing slowly. But uh, for example, if a physician needs psychologic help, uh, that's been kind of stigmatized, as one can easily imagine. Um, there's been sort of a, a hierarchy. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of uh, uh, middle-aged white men running the show or older white men. Uh, that's changing. So the culture is extremely important. And so no matter how resilient we are, if the culture is really unfavorable, we're going to be unhappy working within it. The second third of the pie is uh, efficiency of practice. And, and that means things like... Um, you know, if, I, if I'm working in the operating room and we just don't have enough technicians and there's a long turnover between cases and I'm ending up spending uh, an hour and a half in the hospital uh, in addition to what I think is necessary every day, again, it doesn't matter how resilient I am. If I'm working in a very inefficient system that prevents me from having dinner with my family and making uh, events for my kids and so on, it's going to be it's going to be hard to be happy. So we have the culture, Absolutely. we have efficiency of practice, and then the third domain is my main area of interest, and that's we're going to we're going to hold on but to I that think, thought, Greg, as they've um, sure they got the music playing on you. Then we'll start out with that when we come right back after this short break. Everyone, go to gregcammermd.com 
Thank you for joining us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much. We're just having a, a we're learning uh, today. Um, we're just having a great conversation with Dr. Greg Hammer and his wonderful book, Game Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And I'm going to go ahead and put it out there that, you know, this book is applicable to your personal life, your family life, um, your interaction with kids and children and teenagers. <clears throat> if you're in another caregiving profession, um, it certainly is applicable. Uh, the four pillars, gratitude, awareness, intention, and non-judgment, promoting well-being. And that is, I think, a, it's a great call. It's a great passion of mine that in any role that you put a business card or a certificate in front of your name or behind it, there needs, I feel, needs to be some level of modeling about what it is that you represent. And so, um, I was just very excited to have him and his work and what he stands for. And uh, you'll see that he is a very healthy human and he's actually happy when you look at his photo. Um, um, <clears throat> Greg, have you ever heard that the story about John Lennon? It's one of my favorite stories and it's very quick about happiness. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. It's very quick. Um, John Lennon, uh, his mother taught him as a little boy that the secret to life is happiness. And so he had that in his energy field. He was bombarded with that. John, the secret of life is happiness. And so when he went to school, his teacher gave them assignments to answer the question, what is the secret of life? And he wrote happiness. And she said, you don't understand the assignment. And he told his teacher, you don't understand life. <laughs> <laughs> love that that's great yeah love that too just a great beautiful um beautiful beautiful uh story so i'm i'm grateful for the work you're doing and the influence that you have with children and with the youth and um you know people say they're our future well no they're really our now uh, you know, <laughs> they are contributing on many different levels to where we are right now. And we want to value them as not only what we're influencing with them, but the teaching that they're, that they're bringing. I mean, the kids now, they are so amazing. Um, and just say the most profound things. Uh, my little goddaughter told me the other day, she said, I don't want to be named Miracle I don't want to, I don't want you to call me miracle anymore. I went, well, gosh, dear, that's such a beautiful name. 
I mean, I know I would love it because it would remind me if I'm kind of off track, you know, that would look for a miracle. And she said, I want to be called karma. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and she picked that up and no, I want my name to be karma. But I said, well, do you know what karma means? Because, you know, I didn't want to make her wrong or, you know, whatever. And I just, she's just turned six. And so I'm like, do you know what karma means? And then I explained it to her. She said, oh, okay. And so she didn't bring that up anymore, but, oh, they just, they're so good for us. And they, they keep us healthy inside our heart and keep our heart open, you know, um, more so. But we were talking about before, before we went to break, how is your, how's your work uh, being accepted by the the diehards or by the the box thinkers by the well I've always been this way this way I do it and this is how it is how uh, how is that going uh, for you? Well, as I was explaining, you know, in the Well MD Center we have this rubric whereby the keys to professional and personal fulfillment include the culture, in this case, the culture of medicine, efficiency of practice, and the third domain is personal resilience. So it's important as I talk to physicians that they understand I'm not saying that we just need to be personally more resilient and everything will be okay. No, there have to be changes in those other two domains as well. That is the culture of medicine and efficiency of practice. So, um, you know, it's not, uh, personal resilience doesn't cure everything. You know, if somebody is Uh, driving a nail through your foot, no matter how resilient you are, uh, it's going to present a problem. So, But, again, we can only do what we can do. And, again, I think that is where the importance of discerning between that we can change and that we cannot change. So we as physicians and healthcare providers more broadly can change the culture of medicine. And I think it is happening. Um, You know, we just... uh, at our department uh, faculty meeting yesterday, and uh, we have a very strong directive in LGBTQ uh, rights. And how can we how can we do better? How can we be completely accepting and not have any microaggressions uh, in our department towards faculty or patients, etc.? Uh, and this is a really important directive. And so the culture is changing. And we can all pitch in. And and similarly with efficiency, um, you know, efficiency at work, efficiency in the hospital and clinic, we do have to band together and try to help the administrators and leadership understand what the issues are. But the thing we can do every day and we have total control over is our own resilience. And so I do have to kind of put that in perspective and context. I'm not telling anybody that all you have to do is be more resilient and everything will be rosy. But... Again, let's do what we can do as individuals and, and you know, go from there. And, and that's really the message. And we can do a lot. The good news is, uh, although there are some challenging ways that our brains appear to be wired by the time we reach adulthood, the good news is that our brains remain uh, open and neuroplastic, meaning that through intention we can actually change the way we think to be more positive and more present. So I think that message does resonate with everybody. Yeah, and you're you're up against the the same kind of thing that uh, I am in my work as you know being a difference maker and um, 
you know, writing about the depth of uh, shamanic practitioner work about, you know, ancient teaching of getting back to nature and what's natural and, you know, living in a both and world, not an either or. I mean, we are so bombarded with either or and you can't be in the middle, you know, um, and and those kind of things. And um, and so because I represent, you know, radical positivity, then people run around going, well, you know, oh, you're saying it's wrong to be negative. No, nobody's saying that, (laughs) you know, you don't see some of the things happening to kids and, and what people are doing from time to time and go, oh, let's just be positive. This isn't cliche and, you know, platitude and kumbaya land, but it's the fact that in the midst of those things, you're not saying they don't exist as a dark or shadow experience, but within that, there's a looking for or anticipating that within that, on the other side, there's going to be some sense of betterment, like you're saying, um, that you have this feeling of influence as a person, and you can be the CNA, you can be the DON, uh, you can be the doctor of a whole wing, and one space of attitude, one space of how someone interacts with you may change the course of their lives. It may be the difference between um, suicide and a, a lifetime of willing to change who they are, you know, that that kind of thing. And um, because that's the thing. It's like, I, I remember as a uh, speaker, when I traveled abroad and, and traveled in the States, you know, that would be one of the comments they would make is, I just can't believe, you know, she's so happy. And, you know, I, <laughs> I thought, well, how sad, you know, <laughs> I mean, where are we headed? You know, there's this level of inner happiness and you nailed it because that's how I believe is when joy and you said pain, I said grief. When joy and grief are married and they hold hands through life, that's where your inner happiness lies, is right there. And I, I, I love mm. that. And I love that you're teaching this in uh, areas and places within the world that uh, people can really benefit deeply, you know, for sure. And And we were talking about and I would have gone this whole hour without bringing up this word because I'm kind of tired of talking about it and I don't really bring it up on the show. It's not politics, that's for sure. But COVID, you know, and we were talking about how, you know, um, I found one time in my, so I'm curious as to what you think and then lead us through a meditation or more about your book. But now that I have you, this expert that you are, I want to ask you this, that I found one time in my thirties, I took a time out first time in my life that I hadn't been employed or reporting somewhere or having all of the life's external distractions. And I, I tell you, Greg, I went into so much analyzing so much pondering and so much thinking about things that, I mean, I went like, I think, Oh, I know this is what people talk about being depressed. I need to get, get back into life. And are, are you finding that because so many people have had timeouts and yes, I understand there's lots of success stories about it, but there's almost like this intensity and aggravation because most people are call life their distractions and I'm not making that wrong, but they don't have as many distractions as they, as they once did. So it seems there's more anger and frustration and uh, you know, whatever. So 
what it what do you think about that <laughs> do you mean with respect to the pandemic yeah and um people's lives changing so much in ways that they are absolutely in no control at all sure well you know we talk about burnout and and how burnout has been part of the pandemic if you will burnout is a mm-hmm. state of physical and emotional exhaustion related to chronic stress. And I think that, again, we can talk about stress as being adaptive or maladaptive. Acute stress can be adaptive. So when you're having a a party in the backyard and there's a swimming pool and and you hear a splash uh, and where's the toddler and you realize that the toddler has fallen into the swimming pool, you're going to get a surge of adrenaline or epinephrine, your heart rate and blood pressure are going to go up, your cortisol is going to go up, your blood sugar will go up. And these things prepare you for reacting quickly and jumping in the pool and rescuing that toddler, for example. So Mm -hmm. that's an example where acute stress is adaptive. But when that state of stress lasts for days, weeks, months, or, or even years, it has a number of very adverse effects on our health, um, you know, on our blood pressure, on our, on our uh, heart function, on uh, predisposing us to diabetes, on suppressing our immunity, actually uh, interfering with our sleep. And then you get into this sort of positive feedback loop or self-propagating uh, situation where you're not sleeping well, so you're tired, and then when you're tired, and this is certainly true like in medicine in the hospital, you have physicians who have been on call or weren't sleeping well, and then families give uh, a box of seized candies out of their gratitude, and so you end up picking up one of those or maybe more than one, and so we're tired, we're going for sugary or fatty so-called comfort foods, which may provide a very temporary boost, but in general, our diet suffers, and our exercise uh, regimen often kind of goes down the tubes, and and this all feeds back into itself with our sleep, exercise, nutrition, and chronic stress. So I think that life itself is stressful, and and that's what we're really talking about is how do we let go of that stress and think mm-hmm. into our hearts and our natural state of happiness. But life itself is a stress, and you superimpose upon that some natural disaster. Um, You know, I was thinking of the people in Haiti who had their president assassinated and then uh, had a horrific earthquake and so many people were sleeping out in the street because their homes were destroyed and then they got a hurricane. So it was just sheets of rain coming down on these poor people who were huddled together outside. And um, so you superimpose on the chronic stress of life some natural disaster like that for the COVID pandemic and all of the myriad of additional stresses that that superimposes on the baseline stress of life. And of course, you're going to have a lot more exhaustion and burnout. And so, uh, you know, all the more reason for us to uh, look to each other to develop ways of becoming more personally resilient. And as I said, you know, the good news is that is accessible to us if we use our purposefulness or intention. That's very true. And really, you know, as I, as I look at, you know, your, your, your four gratitude, awareness, intention, and non-judgment, I mean, 
that is really not with the intention of uh, trying to make this a, a spiritual movement, but it, it, that is truly the unity teaching in every sense. Um, and that creates a sense of unity regardless of who you are and, and what you belong to. You know, I mean, these will make great programs and classes for, for children as well. And I, I know that you're a component of meditation and that's what's exciting is starting to see meditation taught in prisons, starting to see meditation taught in the elementary schools and the breathing techniques with the, um, you know, kindergarten and pre-K. It's really cool what's going on. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about meditation. Maybe they were taught or told that uh, you had to sit possibly in an uncomfortable position for 30 minutes and, and banish all thoughts from your mind. And, you know, those are all stigmata, but none of them are true. They're not intrinsic to meditation. You know, the game meditation, for example, can be done in as little as three minutes and basically just involves finding a comfortable place to sit in any position. I, I would generally advise against lying down <laughs> because people may fall asleep, but um, sitting in a comfortable place in a comfortable chair in a quiet room and can be as little as three minutes. And a, the issue about not having thoughts, uh, of course, all forms of meditation uh, you know, we, we no matter what meditation we're doing, we, we tend to have thoughts. And I think the important point is not feeling as though we failed if we're having thoughts, but rather not getting overly attached to our thoughts, just kind of being the observer of them. And it's partly why I made this practice, uh, devised the game practice as being contemplative. So I'm actually offering thoughts rather than telling you not to have them. So it's a, it's a contemplation. And over time, people can do it for longer. They can reinterpret what the elements of gain mean, um, of course. So uh, I, what I offer is just kind of a, a starting point. And um, I think it's really important to have a daily practice also, rather than rely on that week of vacation every three to six months uh, we all know that when we come back from vacation, the benefits seem to dissipate very quickly. But a daily practice, albeit brief, can really be uh, the opening of a door to a more uh, evolved, committed, really wonderful practice. So it's just a starting point. So would you like to go through that? Would you like, shall we do a brief I, I very much, we have like, seven minutes and i think that would be wonderful okay yes all right well we'll do uh we'll just do a three minute or so meditation and so i would just okay. ask you listeners <coughs> excuse me to sit comfortably and and close their eyes and begin to just let their muscles relax uh rest your arms on the armrest or on the tabletop and just sort of feel the muscles in the body in the neck the scalp down the back and uh, down through the torso and legs, just relax and, and notice the breath. Notice the air coming into the body through the nose. Perhaps slow that down a bit. Take a slow uh, inhalation to a count of three, pause to a count of three, 
And then just notice the effortless nature of the exhalation, perhaps to a count of four. Just noticing the breath in and hold and relaxing and letting it go. And then we think about our gratitude and how wonderful it is to be here right now. Uh, when I was, uh, I was diagnosed with a blood cancer called CLL about 10 years ago, I didn't think I would be alive today. And fast forward and I take an immunotherapy pill once a day and there's no evidence of disease in my body. And so that's one of the things for which I'm most grateful. But we can be grateful for the health and wealth that we have. We can focus on what we have rather than what we don't have as we breathe and the gratitude of the community that we have that we enjoy right here, right now. We can be grateful for our loved ones, for our friends, our ability to laugh and let's just be grateful for this day we transition to acceptance and acceptance means we acknowledge that there's pain in life so we can focus on something painful and as we breathe slowly in and pausing and out we feel that pain that painful experience or thought coming closer and closer and we open our chest and feel our heart opening and bring that pain into our heart let that pain merge with our heart. So there's no separation. And as I said, I lost my boy at the age of 29, four years ago. So that pain is always there. But as I bring it slowly closer and into my heart, I accept it fully. And so I no longer suffer from that event and that reality. And we all have pain. It's part of life. We all share this. Let's embrace it. And we transition to intention, the I in game. And knowing that we have this wonderful quality of being purposeful, so we can actually rewire the way we think to be more positive and more present. And it's been shown that just thinking of three good things in the evening before we prepare to go to bed, three good things that happen during the day. We do this nightly. It takes no time. Uh, it actually helps us sleep, and it makes us happier. And that's been shown, and that's a great example of intention. We all have this ability to be purposeful about the way we experience life and the way we think through our intention. So let's think of three good things and let's vow to be more present and focus on what we have rather than what we don't have. We can overcome that negativity bias. And we transition to non-judgment. And you know, we're always comparing ourselves to other people and others to others and things in our environment. It's the way our mind works. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to think of the other person being smarter than I am or I'm more beautiful than that person. Let's just let it be. Let's totally accept what is. So I picture of the Earth, a beautiful image, maybe a NASA image of the Earth just suspended in space. It's neither good nor bad. We don't have to affix a label to it. It simply is the Earth that it is. And similarly, we are the person that we are. We are neither good nor bad. We can think, I am exactly who I am. I am neither good nor bad. And we can drop the self-judgment and the judgment of others and the world around us. And we return to the breath, slowly taking the breath in to a count of three, pausing to a count of three, and then letting it go very slowly without effort to a count of four. And we repeat this cycle of noticing the breath. And then we slowly open our eyes and 
here we are out in the world ready to dedicate ourselves to going back to this practice of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment as we drive to work, as we walk down the hall, as we sit down for a meal. And, uh, you know, I think it will make us all more resilient and happier people. Oh, that is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah, again, just a three-minute practice every morning. And, uh, you know, maybe take one of those elements and make a special commitment to that. So today I'm going to be non-judgmental. So when we're driving to work after we do our game meditation and somebody cuts us off a bit on the road without using a turn signal and we start to formulate all these uh, judgments, we can kind of have a bit of a laugh at ourselves and, and remember that we pledge to be to drop the judgments, to be non-judgmental of the first person that we found ourselves uh, being aggravated with. So you can take these elements and just, you know, uh, incorporate them into your mindset during the day. And I think the more you do this, uh, just even three minutes every morning after a few months you look back and realize how much your thought process has changed. And in fact, yes, I am happier. Yeah, I love the I love the four. I love the the quadrant model. I I mean, um, it, because that's true for you know life. When people say, "Well, I'm spiritual," it's like, "Well, that's wonderful." Whatever that you know one word indicates, but yet you're also physical, you know, and you're also mental, and you're also emotional, and so it's all four of those things. And I, I, I just love the, the energy of the words that you've used in the acronym game, because yeah, it's wonderful to write your list and say the things you're thankful for, but without the awareness and the intention and the, how am I adjusting in everyday life with my judgment? I mean, you know, gratitude is nice, but it becomes cliche kind of like, Oh, I'm so thankful, you know, versus more integrated. So anyway, my hat goes off to you, Dr. Greg Hammer. You've done an excellent job. Everyone, you can tune in to greghammermd.com for his website and learn more about him and get his wonderful book. It's just been a delight having you on the show today. I, uh, I really love the work you're doing and uh, keep on going. Greg, keep on going. Thank you, Temple. It's been wonderful to be with you. We'd love to come back sometime. No, we'd love to have you. You just tell Steve or Angela to, to book you again. We really need to do that in 2022 because we fill out we fill up uh, fast and who knows what book you'll have out by then, okay? Or you don't even need one. We'll okay. just talk about the <laughs> All right, Plus Temple. You. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye Thank for now. You. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. 
On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.